Okay. Now, now, is the winter of our discontent. So says Richard III. He is miserable. His brother just sees the throne, leaving him powerless. But it is the winter, the winter of Richard's discontent, meaning soon there will be a thaw, a spring, during which Richard will act upon the world and seize what is owed him, the very throne of England. I bring up Richard III this morning because I need you to think I'm smart. So, now that some of you are convinced I'm more literate than I actually am, today is December 21st, 2023. I believe, because I'm not really that smart, I believe it is the shortest day of the year. Autumn just ended. Winter begins. But starting tomorrow on December 22nd, the days grow longer. For the past three months, we have grown increasingly gloomy, despondent, sad, And it all culminates right now on December 21st, the shortest day of the year. Tomorrow, the days grow longer and more light will shine on us. We just have to get through today. Sunnier days, I promise you, sunnier days await us. Indeed, this truly is the winter of our discontent. Yes, for the past couple of weeks, Donald Trump seems insurmountable, but that's because he's the prince of darkness. This was his season, but starting tomorrow, the light will grow brighter and brighter, and it will dawn on a vast majority of Americans that we are much better off today than we were four years ago when Donald Trump was president and Mitch McConnell controlled the Senate. In January of 2021, Joe Biden took office and the Democrats took control of the Senate. We already had the House of Representatives. In fewer than two years, Joe Biden was able to get enough Americans vaccinated so that our economy could open up and create more jobs than any president in American history. In fewer than two years, he was able to get the bipartisan infrastructure bill passed, which jump-started our economy by pouring hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars into construction projects for airports, highways, bridges, ports, upgrading our trains and buses, making them energy efficient, energy efficient so that we get to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. Yeah, not good enough. We'll all be drowning. The polar ice caps will have melted. It's not good enough, but it's a start. And he did all of this by making sure these jobs, every single job was either union or paid what a comparable union job would demand. Last year, We had more strikes than at any time in the past 40 years. 500,000 workers went on strike this year. And according to Bloomberg Law, they got what they demanded. 
workers at Kaiser Permanente, auto workers for the UAW, SAG-AFTRA, and the Riders Guild were all able to gain major concessions at the bargaining table, and Joe Biden helped them. He marched with the auto workers. He sent people from his administration to negotiate with Kaiser Permanente. Now, even Starbucks, which for more than a year refused to negotiate with the newly founded Starbucks Workers Union, Starbucks has caved under pressure from Bernie and the Biden-era National Labor Relations Board, which has signaled, we'll keep fining you until you sit down and bargain. And Starbucks says it wants to wrap up the union contracts by early next year. More workers are voting to go union than at any time since Reagan took office. And Biden's putting an end to the cruel and unnecessary bias in the workplace against people without four-year college degrees. Joe Biden is the first president in modern history to stop saying the solution to everything is college. Those days are over. No more Bill Clinton and Obama saying you got to go to college, you know, blaming it on the victim. No, we have a president at last who's finally no longer saying college is the solution, especially in a country where 40 million people are living under the crushing weight of student debt. Now, Joe Biden tried to forgive a good chunk of that student debt. But as you know, the Supreme Court blocked it back in June. So he worked with his Department of Education and found legal workarounds that have resulted in almost 20 million Americans having their student debt completely wiped out. Biden's very first piece of legislation as president back in 2021 was a master's class in why Keynesian economics works. Joe Biden's American Rescue Plan, passed right after he took office, has been called by some the strongest, most expensive and expansive social safety net in U.S. history. Now, when I read that, I, I, I okay, that can't be correct. Joe Biden, bigger social safety net than Lyndon Johnson, bigger than FDR. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to this. It's amazing. Close to $2 trillion in his first three months in office. This is the American Rescue Plan. Close to $2 trillion went directly to American citizens, and he lowered the poverty rate for children by half. Now, you can look at FDR, the New Deal, and Lyndon Johnson's Great Society. Yes, they created Social Security, the minimum wage, Medicare, and Medicaid. But Joe Biden, Joe Biden and the Democrats in 2021, they handed over to the American people $2 trillion to make sure we didn't fall through the cracks. Unprecedented. The eviction moratorium was extended, and you didn't have to pay back your student loans. 
you got $1,400 sent to you by the government, maybe more. He expanded unemployment insurance and he changed the way Americans look at our government and at our corporations. Whether we know it or not, Biden's first year in office changed the way we look at government and corporations. We now expect more from the government and less from corporations. That's why people walked off their jobs. They walked away. They quit. They realized that they're entitled to more than just long hours at starvation wages. In fewer than two years, the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Joe Biden, passed the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, as I mentioned this, keep in mind they just did a study. The Republicans have had the House for one year. It is the most unproductive Congress in the history of the House of Representatives. Look it up. That's a fact. You give the Republicans the House of Representatives, the most unproductive House of Representatives in American history. They passed something like 25 bills. I've been over this. They've done nothing except fight amongst each other and try to make Americans work for food stamps. So keep in mind that the Republican-controlled House of Representatives for a year has done nothing in Joe Biden's first two years in office before he lost the House in the midterms. He passed the Inflation Reduction Act. Wasn't Bernie's Build Back Better by a long shot? didn't raise the minimum wage. There wasn't free tuition at all public universities. He didn't provide dental and eyeglasses for people on Medicare. There wasn't any universal uh, daycare, what Bernie wanted. Also what Joe Biden said he wanted. But the Inflation Reduction Act is incredible. It brings down the cost of insulin, finally, and the cost of prescription drugs for seniors, by finally giving Medicare the right to negotiate with Big Pharma on the most prescribed drugs. Now, it's going to get tied up in the courts a little. I'll talk about the courts in a second. Uh, The Inflation Reduction Act raised taxes on corporations, including an excise tax on stock buybacks, where corporations, since Reagan took office, have been artificially juicing their stock prices by using their profits to purchase and then retire their own stock instead of investing their profits in research and development, paying their workers a livable wage, or increasing dividends for shareholders, which can then be taxed to help balance our budget. Stock buybacks are a tax dodge. Those profits belong to research and development, they belong to the workers and the shareholders as dividends, which can then be taxed. Well, to help lower our debt, the Inflation Reduction Act, how do you pay for the Inflation Reduction Act? Well, you hire 87,000 new IRS employees to go after these scofflaw corporations. 
and people earning more than half a million dollars or more a year and avoid paying their fair share by hiring accountants and lawyers with dubious ethics. So 87,000 new IRS employees targeting corporations that have more than a billion dollars a year in profits and targeting anybody who's earning more than half a million dollars a year because they don't pay their fair share of taxes. So what did what did we get from the House of Representatives when it's controlled by Republicans? He's got to hire few IRS employees. He wanted to hire 87,000 new IRS uh, employees, but to raise the debt ceiling, uh, Joe, Mac- Joe McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy forced Joe Biden to uh, cut a little of that. I think it was like $80 billion that's been earmarked for the Internal Revenue Service. The big fiscal hawks, you know, the Republicans. How are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? Hiring IRS and, and built the bill collectors, essentially. No, can't can't. No, we were, that, that we were sent to Washington as Republicans to lower taxes and facilitate rich people not paying any taxes. You can't hire more uh, IRS agents. But he did. He did. Thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, the federal government is now investing almost $700 billion in green energy. With the Chips and Science Act, for the first time in modern American history, we finally have an industrial policy where the government is investing close to $300 billion dollars to bring the production of semiconductors back to the United States so we just don't increase our manufacturing base. We also put an end to supply chain issues that ended up raising the cost of cars and all types of smart appliances that had to rely on chips from overseas. Remember that? At the height of COVID, the price of a car went up because our chips are not made here in the United States. Like I said, another master's class in Keynesian economics. Democrats pumped trillions. Now listen to me. Joe Biden does has a messaging problem. He does not, he, he expects his good work to speak for him. And I understand that. So it is your responsibility to get out there and speak for him. He's not a good salesman. He's, you know, he's made some amazing backroom deals. I never saw him as a master of the Senate. But when you look at the first two years in office, it's Johnson-esque. It's it's pretty remarkable. Now, as I talking about Keynesian economics, Democrats in the first two years pumped trillions into the economy. And please pay attention to this because it's really important. Fed Chair Jerome Powell, who was appointed by Trump and reappointed by Biden. But Jerome Powell is a Trump appointee. Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the, the trillions that the Democrats pumped into the economy had nothing to do with inflation, no inflationary impact whatsoever. Jerome Powell 
while inflation was running hot last year, said most, if not all, of this inflation is being caused by supply chain issues, not government stimulus programs. And now we're uncovering incontrovertible evidence of something called greedflation, where corporations with little to no competition, because they gobbled up the competition, uh, because of, we don't enforce antitrust laws, uh, they use their pricing power that comes from monopoly or a duopoly to raise prices and increase profits. They did it because they thought we could just blame it on inflation instead of greed. But eventually, you get to go over their balance sheets, and enough time has passed, and economists have looked at the balance sheets. The cost of junk food, for example, skyrocketed, even though the cost of the raw materials, including energy, had gone down. Junk food companies, because they're only a handful, were able to raise prices. They have what is called pricing power. It's greedflation. Biden was up against the Republicans and liars, bad people, bad people, like the senator from one of the poorest states in America, Democrat Joe Manchin of West Virginia. And he was saying throughout this that all this spending on the social safety net was creating the inflation. Apparently, Joe Manchin knows better than Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, you would think. No, Joe Manchin is a liar, and I'm glad to see him go. He was blaming inflation on the social safety net with no proof and no evidence. Now, why would he say something like this? Why wouldn't Joe Manchin whose constituents from West Virginia are worse off today than when he first became their senator, why would he he fight the social safety net? Makes no sense. Whatever happened to bringing home the bacon for your constituents, right? I just got finished reading This Will Not Pass by Jonathan Martin and Alexander Burns. It just came out. It's a great book. It's called This Will Not Pass. It's a blow-by-blow of Biden's first two years in office. I recommend reading it because there's been so much chaos during the Trump administration, and it's bled over to the Biden administration. It's hard to keep track of everything. There, it, It's hard to keep track of the chaos that Donald Trump created as president And it's also hard to keep track of all of Joe Biden's accomplishments. This is a proactive president. He doesn't sound proactive. He doesn't behave proactive. But when you look at the resume from the past three years, we are talking Lyndon Johnson. We are. Uh... But it's hard to keep track of what Joe Biden has accomplished. And because it's hard to keep track of, I believe that's why Joe Biden's approval ratings are now the lowest, the lowest 
since he took office. But in his first two years, Biden built, as I said, the largest social safety net in American history. He just did in terms of spending, in terms of handing money over to the American people so they didn't fall through the cracks. Unfortunately, it was temporary. The Republicans fought him every step of the way, and so did Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin is a bad guy, and he kept fighting the child tax credit, and it, it lapsed, uh, which doubled childhood poverty overnight. The first year in office, Joe Biden increased the child tax credit and child poverty in America. I think it was the lowest since the war on poverty first started. He just like eliminated half of child poverty. Again, I don't want to get into the weeds and talk about how it's not enough. Obviously, it's not enough. But uh, so he eliminated child poverty. Not completely. Now, why would Joe Manchin, senator from West Virginia, where I don't know if they, the kids still have the bloated bellies that Bobby Kennedy saw when he visited West Virginia, but you have severe poverty in West Virginia. Why would Joe Manchin be against the child tax credit? Well, According to This Will Not Pass, this book that I just read, Joe Manchin, the Democratic senator from West Virginia, fought Biden on all the social safety net payments. He didn't want the child tax credit. And while all this was going on, you're going, why? Why? Well, are you seated? Sit down. According to This Will Not Pass, Joe Manchin fought the social safety net, the child tax credit. He said, I know my constituents. You give them money and they spend it on drugs. Unquote. Throughout the book, Joe Manchin is quoted several times as saying, get rid of the child tax credit. I know the people of West Virginia, you give them money and they spend it on drugs. And when I read that, I went, ah, okay. Now, okay, now at least I understand what he, what's going on in this evil mind of his. He sleeps at night by thinking, you can't trust poor people with money. They'll spend it on drugs. Not the drugs his daughter, the drug executive, uh, sells. And she should, we've gone over Joe Manchin's daughter. She should be tried for price gouging on the EpiPen. I did a whole show on Joe Manchin's daughter. Just go to my website, Google Joe Manchin's daughter. It's unbelievable what this family have they've cashed in on Joe Manchin's name, the hypocrisy and the greed and the price gouging. Uh, unbelievable. 
But at least I got an insight into how Joe Manchin sleeps at night. He has so much contempt, like Donald Trump does for his voters. It's better to keep them poor because any money you give them will just be spent on drugs. Isn't that incredible? That's his argument for making sure working moms have to choose between food and rent. Nah, they're just going to spend it on drugs. They're not going to spend it on school supplies, shoes, food, hospital co-pays. No, they're, they're all going to spend it on drugs. And that's, of course, the cause of the opium addiction, the opiate addiction in West Virginia, the social safety net. If you ask him, how do we combat drug addiction? Don't give any money to poor people. They have no money. They can't buy drugs. But you better hire more cops because they'll probably end up breaking into my home to pay for their drugs. I was very grateful when I read this because I said, okay, he sees poor people as animals. So, okay, now I understand. You give these animals money, they spend it on drugs. It's evil. And somehow, this POS thinks he's the one who should launch a third-party bid for president. The no-labels candidate. No labels. Josh Gottheimer's party. Vote for me, Joe Manchin. I'm the guy who makes you poor. I'm saving your life by keeping you poor. Well, the CHIPS Act is a massive spending bill on all the hardware that makes everything from our phones to our ovens work. It's not just an investment in our workers, it's an investment in the future. We'll be creating, as you know, America got a lot of problems, uh, but we do create the future. So why, oh why, are Joe Biden's poll numbers lagging? Why does every poll show Biden losing to Trump, to Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis? Because polls are worthless when it comes to predicting the outcome of an election. More importantly, we are talking about the popular vote. But you win elections working the electoral map. I went over this last month. I feel that a lot of people are worried today. And I usually get things wrong, but not always. And I just want to go over some numbers here and the electoral map. Um, I want to show you why it's going to be very easy for Joe Biden to get reelected. Just basic math, numbers, geography, cartography, the electoral map. Okay. If you want to watch the horse race and enjoy 2024, the three most important states, now listen to me, because I, I went over this last month, Michigan, Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania. That's all Joe Biden has to do and he gets past 270. You need 270 electoral votes. Now, Biden won big in 2020. 
He outperformed Hillary because he won Georgia. He won Arizona. He won Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Those are five states that Hillary lost. He flipped Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. He doesn't need Georgia or Arizona. He just needs Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. And that gets him to 273. Well, what about, we have what 50 states, I'm talking about three, 47 other states. Those sets, those states have coagulated. They are set, they've dried, they don't count. Ohio, Florida, forget it, not going to happen. It's going to go to Trump. And forget Texas. It would be nice, but forget it, you don't need it. The blue states are locked. Nevada is a little dicey. Uh, Biden won Nevada. little dicey. Virginia can be tough. Uh, but I think you all agree with me on this. Unless we're looking at a wave election, and I just don't see that with Donald Trump as the candidate. He's, he's not something new and exciting. Uh, so I don't see a wave election. I'm going to say, unless it's a wave election, Nevada and Virginia are going to be tight but blue. Tight but blue. So then it just gets down to Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Michigan and Pennsylvania, I don't care what the polls show. Biden is going to win there. You get two Democratic governors in Michigan and Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has a Democrat, a new Democratic governor, Josh Shapiro. Plus, they have a Democratic House. And their Supreme Court is controlled by Democrats, which is really important, as you know. After the election, you want Democrats on the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania after the election when they're done counting. Their Senate is controlled by the Republicans. So Pennsylvania is not a trifecta, as they call it, but it's pretty much solid Democrat. Biden wins Pennsylvania. It's his backyard. He grew up in Delaware. He lived in Pennsylvania. Michigan is a trifecta. Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, Democratic House, Democratic Senate, and the Democrats have a four to three majority on the Supreme Court. So it's more than a trifecta, right? Uh, Plus the Republican Party in Michigan is about to go bankrupt. Uh, They're $600,000 in debt. It's fun to watch the Republicans in Michigan. Uh, They have fights, like physical altercations. Uh, You have the MAGA Republicans pushing other MAGA Republicans. And they're being prosecuted by the Attorney General for the phony elector scheme. They need money to pay their legal bills. So Michigan and Pennsylvania belong to Biden. And I said... He just needs Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Now, Michigan, yes, there is a huge Arab population, huge Palestinian population. 
in, in, in parts of Michigan, and Biden has alienated them because of his unflagging support for Israel. I'm not going to touch that right now because we're talking politics, not moral and ethical issues regarding Gaza. I'll come back to this in a future show. Uh, it's inappropriate to politicize what's going on in Gaza. That being said, I, I believe Joe Biden uh, has Michigan. Has Michigan. So that leaves us with Wisconsin. Now, remember, he doesn't need Georgia, Arizona, or Nevada. Does not need Georgia, Arizona, or Nevada, which he carried in 2020. He just needs Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. That's all he needs. Wisconsin is tough. You have divided government. Evers is the the governor. He's a Democrat. Uh, The state Senate and the state House are Republican. But the Supreme Court has a new liberal majority this year. You need... (laughs) You need Democrats on the Supreme Court after the election. Uh, So it's going to be hard for Trump to steal these states if all three of them have democratically controlled Supreme Courts. And let me just say something, because we talked about Colorado's state Supreme Court, and let me just say something about Trump tying up next year's election in the courts. A a reprise of what he pulled uh, after the election in 2020. What lawyer is going to take his cases after the election? Given what just happened to Kenneth Cheesebro, Sidney Powell, Jenna Ellis, and what's about to happen to Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman, What lawyer, at least what good lawyer, is going to do election casework for the Trump campaign? You have to agree to sign on before you're absolutely certain that Trump wins. When you agree to do election casework for the Trump campaign, try to steal the election for him, there's no guarantee that he's going to be able to steal it. And then wipe away your impending indictments. He couldn't steal it the last time. What makes you think he's going to steal it this time? So you're placing a bet as a lawyer. There's no guarantee he's going to win. And if you lose, you're looking at prison. And maybe disbarment. (laughs) Definitely prison. Maybe you'll be disbarred. It's easier, apparently, in America to send a lawyer to prison for trying to overthrow the government of the United States than it is to get them disbarred. They, you cannot get these MFers disbarred. Okay, Wisconsin. So, I said he's got to win Wisconsin. But what if he doesn't? What if he wins Pennsylvania and Michigan but loses Wisconsin, Arizona, and Georgia? Then it's a tie, 269 to 269, goes into the House of Representatives, Trump wins. We've been over why Trump wins, the way they wait 
Each state gets one vote. What if Biden loses Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, and Nevada? Trump wins with 275. But let's put Nevada back in the Biden column. Biden wins Nevada, and then I'm done with this. Biden wins Nevada, but he loses Wisconsin, Georgia, and Arizona. It's tied, goes to the House of Representatives. Trump is president. Okay, those are unlikely scenarios. He's he's not going to lose Nevada, and he's not going to lose Wisconsin, Georgia, and Arizona. He's not going to lose all three of them. So we put Nevada back in the Biden column, and this is why I think it looks so good for Biden. Uh, He can lose Wisconsin, and all he needs to do is win either Arizona again or Georgia again. Doesn't have to win both. He beats Trump. So this is how it is. I, I, I know I went, I did a little, I went down a rabbit hole today. But let me just summarize here. The map, the electoral map is set. All Biden has to do is win Wisconsin or Georgia or Arizona. Not all three, just He has to win Wisconsin or Georgia or Arizona. That's it. The presidential race next year will come down to Wisconsin, Georgia, or Arizona. The three states he won in 2020, he just needs to win one of them. Just one of them. Anyway, the polls mean nothing. Uh, Don't worry. This is the mop-up. For December 21st, 2023, I'm David Feldman. Thank you for finding me. Please like this episode so I remain in your feed and share this. It's the holiday season, the best way. uh, If you want to give me a gift, share this with your friends. And thank you all. A lot of people donated to ProPublica, so thank you. I I was very uh, humbled by that. I'm not doing a show tomorrow night. I'll be doing one early Friday morning. I'm actually taking tomorrow off. I hear that's what normal people do. They they, uh, take days off. So anyway, if you're like me, and I hope you're not, uh, you're rooting for Donald Trump and the Republicans to fail. But the news media somehow convinced us that Biden is losing and Trump isn't going to be defeated. Why? Why do they say that? Like there was a poll yesterday or two days ago in the New York Times that was very good for Joe Biden. But the New York, even the New York Times spun it as though Joe Biden is in trouble. Why do they all do this? Well, you know why. They need a horse race. Billions upon billions are riding on every election. And those elections have to be the tightest and the scariest ever in American history. Now, we used to have landslides in this country, but there's too much money now. Uh, Too much money is being made selling billions in advertising to candidates. 
Uh, there's too much. People are earning hundreds of millions of dollars bilking candidates, charging them for their polling averages and their supposed ability to move public opinion. Consultants, pundits, there, there are billions and billions to be made off podcasts, not this one, radio shows, news networks, websites covering our permanent election cycle. But it's got to be exciting. It's always got to be tight. Has to be tight. With so much money on the line, the people who control the narrative could never afford a landslide where it's just going to be, well, obviously, Biden's going to win this thing. I mean, look at his record. I'm going to go watch Netflix. They cannot allow the American people to relax, to calm down, to, to believe what is the truth. And that is, things are better under Biden than they were under Trump. Categorically. Every single benchmark says so. Now, if the American voter, and again, I'm talking about the voter now, the 40% of Americans who can vote and do vote. I'm not talking about half this country that doesn't vote, half this country that uh, is falling through the cracks, that lives, if they're lucky, in their car, in tents, on the streets. I'm not talking about the nightmare, the carnage, as Trump would call it, for half this country. That's for another show. I'm talking about the Americans who vote. For most of the people who vote, when they get around, and they will, when they stop for a second and they ask themselves, am I better off today than I was four years ago? Unless they're blinded by bigotry and intolerance, which Republicans sell, they have to conclude, yes, I'm much better off than I was four years ago. Record low unemployment. We are by all classical economic models at full employment right now. I've been over this. Once you drop below 4%, it's considered full unemployment. You and I think everybody should be working, but inflation is trending down and approaching the sweet spot of 2%. The price of gas is now at a two-year low. You wouldn't know it if you watch the Republican debates or listen to Fox News. They keep talking about how much it costs to fill up at the tank. Price of gas is now at a two-year low. Climate change is at the tipping point. But uh, if you care about climate change, remember what Noam Chomsky said about the Republican parties. He said four years ago he voting for Biden because in terms of being a bigger threat to the planet, Republicans are worse than the Nazis. They're going to they're end up, because they're so in the thrall of the fossil fuel industry, they will end up killing more people uh, than the Nazis did. That's Noam Chomsky, who voted for Biden. 
yes, climate change is at the tipping point. And I'm not being a Pollyanna here. I'm just telling you uh, it's really, really bad. But our climate change czar, John Kerry, just returned from the 28th annual UN Climate Change Conference in Dubai, of all places, with nearly 200 countries signing on to uh, all agreeing that it's time to get off fossil fuels. They said that in Dubai. Pretty, it's pretty big. They've been, scientists have been asking for this for 28 years. They finally got it, where everybody agreed fossil fuel, are dis- they're destroying our planet. Too little, too late. Should have been done 28 years ago. Uh, but, like I said earlier, there are billions of Easter eggs inside Joe Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, as well as the bipartisan infrastructure bill that will get America off fossil fuels in the next 15 to 20 years. But we need to keep electing Democrats. If, if we keep electing Democrats, we will get off fossil fuels even sooner. I know Joe Manchin is a Democrat, and he takes more money from the fossil fuel industry than anybody in Congress. And Chuck Schumer is almost as bad. He's the Senate Majority Leader. He also takes money from the fossil fuel industry. And yes, Joe Biden is building pipelines. But you cannot stop the march of scientific breakthroughs that continue to produce energy that is cheaper and cleaner than fossil fuels. And that is where the Democrats are pushing this country away from fossil fuels, acknowledging that climate catastrophe is man-made, while the Republican Party still can't even say climate change is real. They poo-poo it. They laugh at it. It's a joke. I'm sorry, because I know I have a lot of listeners who who came to me because I'm a big Bernie supporter, and I am. And there's a lot of resentment that I get uh, from some of my listeners who can never forgive Hillary and they can never forgive Joe Biden. Somehow Bernie was able to forgive Hillary and Joe Biden, but some of his supporters, fewer and fewer, Uh, can't forgive them. Uh, The moral arc of the universe bends towards justice when you elect Democrats. If you elect Bernie and more candidates like the squad, then the moral arc of the universe no longer bends. It plummets towards justice. Like a hockey stick, upside-down hockey stick. But I didn't get Bernie. I got Joe Biden. Now, listen to me. There's what you have, and there's what you wish you had. I want Medicare for all, and free housing, and free food, and free tuition at all public universities. I want to outlaw billionaires. I mean that. 
That's what I wish we had. I wish we had a candidate who was saying that uh, in the Democratic Party. I'm not hearing that from Phillips. Marion Williams. Uh, What we have, what I'm stuck with, is a Democratic Party run by Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, and Hakeem Jeffries. Now, I voted for Hillary, but I wanted Bernie. I voted for Bernie in the primaries, but I voted for uh, Biden, the same way Bernie did in the general. You're free to do anything you want. Let me just remind you of something. Had we gotten Hillary Clinton in 2016 instead of Donald Trump, there would be, assuming Hillary was reelected, there would be right now, and I want you to think about this, what's gone on the past two weeks, think about this. If Hillary was finishing up her second term, right now there would be four justices on the Supreme Court who she picked. Four. That means six out of nine justices would have been picked either by Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. Two-thirds of the United States Supreme Court would be controlled by Democrats. Think about this now. Think about what we've been up against the past decade. Think long and hard about this. Imagine a country where six out of nine justices of the Supreme Court were picked by Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama. Hillary Clinton wins. No Gorsuch, no Kavanaugh, no Amy Coney Barrett. All we would have is John Roberts, Samuel Alito, and Clarence Thomas. And Alito and Thomas are old men. Three conservatives, six liberals. All we had to do was get Hillary elected in 2016. All she had to do was win Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. But we didn't get Hillary. We got Trump, and we got Mitch McConnell, and that's what they did to this country. So right now... I'm not particularly interested in talking about how corrupt the Democrats are. Uh, I know they're in bed with Wall Street, and some of them in bed with the oil companies. But six, six out of nine liberal justices can't be, would not be, in bed with Wall Street or the oil companies. Maybe the Republican justices are, but do you honestly think Hillary Clinton would have nominated a Supreme Court justice who would behave like Clarence Thomas? Maybe a little. (laughs) I mean, she's not a saint, but uh, six out of nine justices would have ushered in Voting rights, 
right? Is it Shelby versus Alabama? They would have overturned that. They would have overturned Citizens United. They would have gotten the money out of politics. They would have taken on gerrymandering, upheld Biden's eviction moratorium, upheld student debt relief, which we lost in June, and they would have fished for lawsuits uh, that give them an opportunity to put the gun manufacturers that sell AR-15s to high school students out of business. The court, the court, the court. And I did hear that in 2016. I did hear a lot of Hillary Clinton people say, I know, not to me, because I voted for her, but I over, they say, look, the court, the court, you're voting to control two-thirds of our government, right? The executive branch and the judicial band, uh, branch. The court, the court, the court. This is why Republicans must steal presidential elections. The courts, the courts. This is why they keep poor people, people of color, from voting. Because winning the presidency means you, you win the courts, the courts, the courts. Yeah, Hillary is a hawk. She destroyed Libya when she was Secretary of State under Obama. Maybe she provoked Putin by pulling Ukraine too hard, too soon towards the West. But six out of nine Supreme Court justices, think about that. Tell me what this country would look like with a Supreme Court where six out of nine were picked by Obama or Hillary. Uh, Some of you are too young uh, to know about Roe v. Wade, but there was a time in this country when there was a decision called Roe v. Wade, and it got overturned last year. And in 14 states, within one year, in 14 states, it's next to impossible for poor women to get abortions. You know, I was reading this morning about our repulsive speaker of the house, Mike Johnson, taking his daughter to a purity ball. I'm still talking about the courts. ABC News got its hands on a German documentary from a few years ago featuring our idiot speaker and his daughter. And they followed Mike Johnson uh, as he and his daughter go as dates to a purity ball, a purity dance. It's a father-daughter dance down in Louisiana. Yeah, that... uh, that's kind of creepy. Forget the purity ball. The, the whole idea of a father-daughter dance where the dad picks up a corsage. And and uh, I know many of you are thinking, well, it's Lu- Louisiana. Of course there would be a father-daughter dance. There are probably brother-sister dances as well as uh, Skeeter gator dances where guys named Skeeter get to bring their gator that they're dating to the back office of a uh, a Whataburger and bang them without a condom. I think that goes on in Louisiana where guys who date their gators uh, 
take them to Whataburger on special occasions, and they go in the back room and bang their gator without a condom. Purity balls. That's where the daughter... I wish I were making this up. I find this sad. The, the daughter, like 12, signs a contract with her father not to have sex until she's married. So this is all about controlling a woman's body and controlling her pleasure. It, it, it's, it's saying only one man, you're only permitted to have sex with one man. Only one man will ever be allowed to make you happy in the eyes of the Lord. You take an 11-year-old girl, I don't know how old they are, 12, 13, and you bring them to the purity balls, and it take, you make these women sick and terrified. Mike Johnson is this girl's father, the most important man in his daughter's life ever. Maybe her meth dealer, but mostly her dad. And so here's the most important man in her life, the template upon which she picks her future husband, poor girl, and he forces her to sign a contract. And then he gives her a purity ring. And she makes a vow to save her body for marriage in, in front of her father. This is so beyond abortion, the, the controlling a woman's body. Uh, put this ring on, make a vow. Now, my darling daughter, before me, Jesus, that I will have one shot with one man, but I will have to marry him first. And I know Jesus is watching, and I promise that if I have sex before I'm married and lie to you, uh, I will have to give back my purity ring, I will be defiled, and I will burn in hell. Who would do that to a daughter about sex? What's going on here? I don't want... My daughter, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, babies, you know, I, I always say, I don't want to hear about it. Babies, you know, it's like, I don't want to know how the sausage is made. Just give me the baby. I don't want to know about kid, my kids, what they, not interested. I understand that. But to deny one of the greatest gifts that there is. Why? I'm not going to do that. But to deny your daughter love, an expression of love, you have to be married to the guy. And you don't know if he, you're never going to find out if he's a closet case until you marry him. That's what Mike Johnson wants for his daughter. 
obsessed with sex. Fearful, Mike Johnson is terrified of all sex, not just gay sex, heterosexual. He's just purity balls. What kind of sex is Mike Johnson doing with his wife that he's so afraid that some guy will talk his daughter into before they get married? What is Mike Johnson doing or trying to do or can't do but wants to do with his wife uh, that he's so terrified that his daughter will be talked into it by a, a strange man? These are sick and diseased people. And he controls the Republican Party right now. Well, besides being a mental defective, a backwater hick from Louisiana, uh, besides being sick in the head, Mike Johnson thinks he's a devout Christian. He thinks he's a devout Christian. So... The question I always ask is, why would a man uh, like Mike Johnson, who's so hung up on sex, so terrified of sex, support Donald Trump, who, three wives, rape, rape and rape, uh, objectifies his daughter, hung out with Jeffrey Epstein. How do you go from being Mike Johnson, putting a purity ring on your young daughter, to fighting to the bitter end for Donald Trump? How do you get there? The court, the court, the courts. It is all about the courts. Mike Johnson... These Republicans, they don't care that Trump is a libertine. That he talks about immigrants poisoning our blood or threatening to be a dictator or storms the Capitol to hang Mike Pence or Nancy Pelosi. In the end, all these Republicans are thinking is the court, the court, the court, by any means necessary by any means necessary which means 2024 is going to be a nasty nasty election don't believe the polls biden's approval rating right now means nothing he's got a record to run on an unimpeachable if you will record to run on And the Republicans know this. That's why it's going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly. And we know that Trump is probably, I mean, who knows, is going to be the nominee. But even if it's Haley, these Republicans do not hold up under scrutiny. They can't win national elections since 1980. 88, only one Republican candidate has won the popular vote for president. That was in 2004, George W. Bush, and we were in the middle of a war. Republicans don't hold up under scrutiny. 
when it comes to the popular vote. They have to win through gerrymandering, the courts, voter suppression, and working the Electoral College. That's how they win, because they do not hold up under scrutiny the American people reject, given an opportunity to vote, they reject the Republicans. Uh, Trump will not hold up under scrutiny. You know, he did lose in 2020. We're so afraid of him. He lost the popular vote in 2016. uh, And the American people rejected him resoundingly in 2020. And he was the incumbent. So I have faith they're, they're the, the American people are going to reject Donald Trump. Uh, there's stuff that Biden can run on. The stock market is touching record highs despite horrific news coming out of Gaza and Ukraine. We are not at war. I know that's hard to believe. I know people are suffering, but uh, our soldiers, American soldiers, for the most part, are not in harm's way. Joe Biden brought the troops home, and yes, it was messy, but not as messy had he kept them in Afghanistan. One of the most underrated accomplishments. He brought the troops home from Afghanistan in 2021. So here, I'm going to wrap it up. It's late. Uh, Today is the darkest day of the year. So my message for my listeners is enjoy it. Wallow in it. Because the light starts shining tomorrow. So spend today Give yourself one last day to catastrophize. Bathe. Bathe in all the bad news today. And it is bad. There's bad, 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 bad news. Gaza is too horrible to put into words. CNBC reports this morning that 69% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck We hold in total $1 trillion in credit card debt. And consumers are telling the TD Bank survey that they are planning to spend more than they can afford this holiday season. We have an epidemic of doom shopping going on right now where Americans feel their financial picture is so bleak they might as well spend money on things they can't afford. It's called doom shopping. And because Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Fed, thinks he can defeat inflation by raising interest rates, the cost of putting all that crap on your credit card, according to CNBC, is now the highest it's ever been. That's right. Credit card companies are able to charge consumers more now than they have ever been able to charge them. Even more than back in the late 70s and early 80s when inflation was in the double digits. See, the banks were deregulated, and so credit card companies now can charge biblically usurious interest rates. So bathe in this. It's the darkest day of the year. There's a growing dissatisfaction among 
people under 30 who are now convinced that they will not ever be better off financially than their parents. According to CNBC, there's a growing consensus emerging on TikTok that says we are living through what is called a silent economic depression, a silent economic depression where we are told things have never been better and yet nobody can afford rent, groceries, transportation, health care, good health care remains unaffordable, as does higher education. We know that money is concentrated in the hands of fewer and fewer people as corporations swallow other corporations, reducing competition and then laying off workers. A brutal strike came to an end in Hollywood. But I'm reading today, the strike is over, but we don't seem to be rebooting Los Angeles and Hollywood the way we did after the last strike. I was reading today, there's now talk that Warner Brothers is going to merge with Paramount, meaning one less studio to do the hiring, to negotiate with. One less studio to to, to hire people. Uh, COVID is finally waning, but it's leaving in its wake a nation that forgot what it's like to see people face-to-face, to talk to people in person. I was reading today that we got used to comfort food, not going to the gym. We're not working out. Instead of working out, we're working out of our homes, letting ourselves go to the point where some are suggesting COVID has been replaced by a pandemic of sloth, inactivity, where people find leaving their homes an affront to their senses. That's nothing new for me. I, the minute I came out of my mom, I found everything an affront to my senses. Thanks to the ever-worsening climate change, going outside has its challenges. Rain, snow, smoke from Canadian wildfires. And as bad as all this sounds on the darkest day of the year, And it is bad. And I urge you to wallow in it. Never forget, it's the Republicans' fault. This is what the Republicans have done to our country, except maybe deregulating the banks, resulting in usurious interest rates on our credit cards. That would be uh, Bill Clinton's fault and Joe Biden's fault. The usurious interest rates on your credit card, that would be uh, Joe Biden's fault. But everything else is can be blamed on Republicans. The point I'm making is, I'm going to wrap it up. Today is the darkest day of the year. It is Trump's Christmas the darkest day. He's the prince of darkness. This is his day. So swim in it. Allow yourself to be sad, morose, depressed. Give yourself permission to eat bad food, smoke too much weed, lay on the couch, rewatch the crown. But tomorrow, 
the light starts to shine again. That's when all of us see the light. We're going to walk into the light and we're going to remain hopeful. And all of us are going to make the case for better days ahead. People are suffering, but keeping to yourself isn't going to help them. Now look, this is what I believe. 50% of the people in our country, in the United States of America, 50% of this country are kind, generous, hopeful, helpful, and open-hearted. The other 50% are I'm not going to call them deplorables. I'm going to call them mm, worthless pieces of shit who should never have been born. Tomorrow, as we step into the sunshine, it's important that all of us, all of you, be like me, David Feldman, an optimist who sees the glass as only half completely full of shit. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. So, I am not going to do a show tomorrow. I'm going to be a normal human being and just uh, stare at the walls. I'm going to relax tomorrow. Uh And then I come back Friday and um, thank you for listening. Thank you for finding this show. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, so I appreciate it. Please like this so I remain in your feed. What am I supposed to do? Thank you, Bob and Autumn, if you're still here moderating the chat room. Thank you to the people in the chat room for keeping the conversation interesting and civil. Subscribe to my newsletter, please. And subscribe to this podcast. Subscribe to this channel. And if you want to give me a Christmas gift, uh, I have some charities that I'll go over uh, Friday. Uh, If you want to help me share this show, uh, that's the, the best gift you can give me is to share this show with people who you think might enjoy it because I'm not part of some consortium of phony lefties and phony liberals who, you know, uh, this is, I'm not going to trash anybody. Why would I trash anybody? I'm going to, I'm going to quit while I'm behind. I've always found Quit while you're behind and leave them wanting less. That's the secret to show business. Leave them wanting less. Thank you to everybody who donated to ProPublica. I was humbled by the number of people in the comments section who donated to ProPublica. Real journalism, real investigative journalism. I'll go over some people and organizations Uh, you should donate to. And it won't be the PBS or NPR. Uh, Never donate to any 501c3 where the CEO is earning 600, 
$700,000 a year. Seems like they should be donating to me. Okay, goodbye. I'm going to get myself into trouble. Thank you. 